Hi, my name is Jonathan McMeans, and I am one of the pastors here at Heights Baptist Church in Alvin. Wanted to let you know that we are so glad that you found our content online, and we hope that you're blessed by it. But if you're a guest with us, one of the ways that you could let us know that you were here is by filling out the digital connect card that is at heightschurch.org connect or by scanning the QR code on the screen in front of you. I wanted to let you know also that you could join us in person every Sunday at 9 or 1030. And also that content is available live on YouTube and Facebook. We're really glad that you found so us. Luke chapter 18, one that maybe you can open or you can turn on this morning. Luke chapter 18, I'm going to take a break for this week on our First Corinthians series. I'll be back in First Corinthians next week, but just kind of keeping a rodeo type theme this morning. I want to introduce you to a man by the name of Bartimaeus who saw the light. And so Luke chapter 18, we're going to pick up in verse 35, if you don't mind standing with me, and let's read the Word of God together. If you're new with us, uh, we do this just to honor the reading of God's Word when we read a portion of Scripture together. Luke chapter 18, verse 35, Luke writes, as he drew near to Jericho, now that he is going to be Jesus, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Verse 38, he said, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. In verse 40, and Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. When he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight, followed him glorifying God and all the people when they saw it gave praise to God. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that the Holy Spirit uh, gave Luke the inspiration to be able to write this account in which we read. And we pray this morning for the Holy Spirit in this moment to help us to understand your word in our minds, to receive it in our hearts, and Lord, to obey what your word calls us to do with our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, actually in several places around the city. And what I learned about growing up in a city is the light of street lights. Uh, now, in one of the houses in which I grew up in elementary school, we had a light pole in the front of our, our um, kind of yard. And so where my bedroom was positioned, when I turned out my bedroom light, the light from that light pole would come into my room. I didn't really need a night light or any extra light growing up as a kid because the street light would come into my room. In 2004, uh, Sandra and I were in seminary. And I became the pastor of Harris Chapel Baptist Church. 
uh, in Hollister, North Carolina. And that was the first church that I pastored. And I got a picture for you guys. Uh, that was Harris Chapel Baptist Church. That is uh, right where the first church I, I pastored right there. And there's a little building right off the side that had three little rooms. And the worship center held about 80 folks and had some pretty stained glass windows. If you ever grew up in a church with stained glass windows, I kind of miss those a little bit some days, the, the old traditionalist in me. But in Hollister, North Carolina, it was a whopping metropolis of 600 people. It was in the country. And in Hollister, our main street consisted of four homes, one of those homes being the parsonage in which we lived. Uh, we had a post office, and we had one gas station. There was a caution light in town, not a stoplight, mind you. We weren't that big. We had a caution light. The gas station had a grill attached to it. So if you wanted to go out to eat, you went to the gas station. Now, if you had a hungering and a, a craving for McDonald's, which I have no idea why we crave that, but if you just were one day, you're like, man, I really want some chicken nuggets. You had to drive 30 minutes just to McDonald's, right? I mean, we were country. First night, Sandra and I are in the parsonage. We go to turn out the bedroom light when it's time to go to sleep, and we turn out the light, and guess what? We were in complete darkness. We learned something really fast. There were no street lights. We didn't have any kind of night light in the house. We didn't leave a bedroom light on or a kitchen light on. I mean, I, I knew that she was laying beside me, but I could not see her. We were in that kind of darkness. I mean, put your hand right here, and you could not see it. We were in darkness. I wonder how many of you this morning are in darkness. There's a darkness in your mind. There's a darkness in your soul. There's a darkness in your life. I want to introduce you this morning to a man by the name of Jesus who helps us see the light when all we see sometimes is darkness. Luke chapter 18, let's set the context here and just kind of move around the chapter together. Luke chapter 18 is an amazing chapter. It's all about people who are seeking God and are rewarded for seeking him. In verses 1 through 8, you would read a story of how God rewards the chosen with justice. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, you read a story of a Pharisee and a tax collector who go to church, and it's the tax collector who says, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and he has received mercy from Jesus. Verses 15 through 17, you see how God rewards the humble with his kingdom. In verses 18 through 34, how God rewards the self-denying with eternal life. And then verses 35 through 43, you read of how God rewards the blind with sight. All throughout the chapter, you see how God rewards people who seek him. Now, when we pick up on this road to Jericho, this morning you meet a man that we are told in verse 35 who is blind, sitting by the roadside, begging. Matthew's gospel tells us there are two men here. There are two men who meet Jesus. There are two men who are healed of this blindness. If we read Mark's account of this story, Mark gives this blind man a name, and his name is Bartimaeus. And so throughout the message, we'll use his name. Luke just tells us it's a blind man sitting there begging. But did you notice verse 35? Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem. Now to get to Jerusalem, he's got to go through Jericho. 
And this is important what Christ is doing because notice in verses 31 through 34 what's happening. Verse 31, it says, In taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will deliver over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. But this saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So Jesus said to the disciples, we are on the way to Jerusalem. It is time to celebrate the Passover. Here's what will happen. But to get there, he had to go through Jericho. And what's interesting about this encounter that he has with Bartimaeus, are there are two recorded stops that Jesus makes before Jerusalem. This is one of them. Then Luke chapter 19, he will stop and meet a man by the name of Zacchaeus and eat at his house. But we've also, since we've read the story, need to understand what is happening. Jesus will heal this man by the name of Bartimaeus. And this is the last recorded miracle that Jesus does to a person before dying on the cross. We know during Passover week, Passion Week, Holy Week, that Jesus will curse a fig tree. And that is a miracle. Then we know he'll die on a cross and three days later he'll resurrect from the tomb. And that's the miracle of the resurrection. But this is the last recorded miracle he does to a person before dying on the cross. Why is this the last miracle he did? Why not cast out a demon from a man? Why not show your control over nature one more time? Why choose healing a blind man as the last miracle you do to another person before dying on the cross? I believe it's this. Jesus is showing us again that he has the power over disease, but he has the power of the darkness of our souls. That Christ can, yes, heal us physically in our eyes, but Christ can heal us spiritually where we are blind. That this is one more time Jesus is showing people before he goes to the cross, I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. Here's what I can do. I can take care of your physical blindness, but more importantly, your spiritual blindness. We pick up in verse 35 again, and we see that this man, Bartimaeus, not only has the condition of blindness, but now he is literally fighting for his life, sitting by the roadside begging. This is how the way Bartimaeus would have made his living, how he would have been able to survive, begging literally for his life. Understand this is a day and a time before government programs. There's no disability insurance. There's no social security there's no government that's helping people with disabilities at this point in time. Oftentimes, people with special needs and disabilities would have been pushed out to the margins of society. And this is a culture in which those who were disabled would often be kicked out of their families. So we don't know if Bartimaeus has a family or not. But we should ask the question, who should be helping Bartimaeus? Who should be taking care of him? Because it's not a government's job. We don't know about a family, but we see he's fighting for his survival. So who should be helping? Should it be the people who 
God said, love me with all your heart, your soul, and your mind? Should it be the people who God said, love your neighbor as yourself? Should it not be the people who are on their way to the temple, praying, worshiping? Should it not be the people who are passing Bartimaeus daily, looking at this beggar, but yet say they love God? We read in verse 36 that a crowd has gathered. Jesus is on the way. Bartimaeus obviously cannot see what is happening around him, but he hears the commotion. He asks, what is going on? What does all this mean? Verse 37, we're told that the crowd tells him Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. But notice his response in verse 38, because this is very, very important. Bartimaeus, upon hearing that this is Jesus of Nazareth coming this way, cries out in verse 38, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. When, when Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, he is using an Old Testament title of the Messiah and applying it to Bartimaeus. Notice he says it twice, verse 38, verse 39, Jesus, son of David. It was prophesied in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that God gave Samuel a prophecy that there was coming a king who would one day rule and reign from the throne of David forever. He says, Samuel, there is coming a king that is through the lineage of David that will sit on your throne and rule and reign from that throne forever. This is what the Old Testament folks in the time of Jesus were looking for. We are looking for this Christ. We are looking for this Messiah. We are looking for this king. And it is Bartimaeus who rightly identifies him. Jesus, you are the son of David. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. Isn't it interesting to stop and think about it this way, though? Here's a blind man who's just now meeting Jesus, who rightly identifies Jesus more than the disciples identify Jesus. He saw more in Jesus than the disciples saw of Jesus at that time. Because remember verses 31 through 34? Taking the 12, Jesus said to them, we're going to Jerusalem. Everything that's written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. He'll be delivered to the Gentiles, mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon. They'll flog him. They'll beat him. They'll kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. What does verse 34 say? But they understood none of these things. Here is a group who had been with Jesus for three years, 24-7. Here is a group of 12 who saw Jesus walk on water. They saw Jesus calm the storms. They saw Jesus cast out demons from people. They saw Jesus heal blind people. They saw Jesus give people the ability to walk who could not walk. They stood at the very tomb of Lazarus beside Jesus and knew that this man had been dead for more than three days and watched and saw how Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus walks out of the tomb. But yet it's this blind beggar who saw Jesus more than what they saw, who knew Jesus at a deeper level than they yet had known him, who rightly said, Jesus, you are the Messiah. It is a man with disabilities who rightly proclaims Jesus more than the ones who had been with him for three years. The question ought to be asked, how many people are in our churches who constantly hear the name of Jesus, 
who constantly sing the name of Jesus, who constantly pray to Jesus, but do not know Jesus. They know of Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. This is why the Bible says, examine your faith. This is why the Bible says, test your faith to make sure you have the faith you say you have. Because the disciples up to this point are missing it, but Barnabas nails it. We see his request, verse 38, have mercy on me. Verse 39, the crowd begins to rebuke Bartimaeus. And those who were in front, your translation may say those who were out in front or led the way, rebuked him, telling him to be silent. Bartimaeus, stop. Bartimaeus, you're annoying Jesus. Bartimaeus, you're not good enough to gain an audience with him. Bartimaeus, you are insignificant. Bartimaeus, you're just a beggar. Bartimaeus, you don't deserve the attention of Jesus. Now, verse 39 does not tell us the identity of this group. We just read that they're out in front. They're leading the crowd. We must hope at this point, though, this is not the disciples pushing Bartimaeus aside. Because we would hope, even though the 12 of them at times were very slow in their learning and very hard-headed in their learning, can I get an amen? Am I the only other one like that? Maybe they would have learned their lesson. Because if you go back to verses 15 through 17, we do see that there's the disciples that are sometimes trying to prevent people from coming to Christ. Verse 15 says they were bringing even infants to him. This would be the parents of children that Jesus might touch them, or your translation says they may bless them. And when the disciples saw it, when the disciples saw that people were bringing kids to Jesus, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 17 tells us, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, meaning with childlike faith, utter dependence upon Christ, shall not enter in. This is a man with disabilities, with special needs, that the crowds were saying, you are insignificant in the eyes of Jesus. How do we see people with disabilities? How do we, as people of God, see people with special needs? Do we, as a church, push them aside? Do we say, you don't matter, you have no value? Because I love what happens in verse 40. It's utterly amazing. Verse 40 says, and Jesus stopped. Let that sink in for a moment. And Jesus stopped. On the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross, in the middle of a commotion, in the middle of a crowd, he hears a blind beggar crying out for him and he stops. The King of Kings stops. The Lord of Lords stops. The Alpha and the Omega stops. The eternal word made flesh stops. The one in whom the demons tremble in his presence 
stops. The one who commands the wind and the waves to stop, he stops in his presence. What is he saying? He's saying, Bartimaeus, you matter. Bartimaeus, you're significant. Bartimaeus, you're important. Everyone else around you may tell you differently, Bartimaeus, but you matter to me. Listen, if you are a child of God, if you have placed your faith and your trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, you matter. You are important. Jesus, when you pray, stops. You have the attention of your king. You have the attention of your God when you pray as a believer in Jesus Christ. He stops for you. He loves you. He cares for you. And then in verse 41, he says, what do you want me to do for you? There in the presence of Bartimaeus, he gives him a blank check. Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? When you pray, Jesus puts out that same blank check. He says, I love you. I care for you. You are significant to me. What do you want me to do for you? Bartimaeus responds, give me back my sight. Lord, I, I want my sight. Lord, help me to see. Verse 42, Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. That phrase, your faith has made you well, can also be translated and written out this way, your faith has saved you. What is pointing us to is this, that Bartimaeus now is physically healed and he is spiritually healed. His eyes have been opened to where now he can physically see, but now the darkness in his soul is gone, and now he has the spiritual light of life. It's interesting to me that in the Gospels, Jesus does 34 miracles. 25 of the 34 miracles Jesus does are to people with disabilities. What you see out of the action of Jesus is as a society pushes out people with disabilities, Jesus constantly goes to them. 25 of the 34 miracles he does is to people with special needs. And right here he says, your faith has made you well. You now can see physically, but now you spiritually see. Bartimaeus, I have healed you. And understand this, the greatest miracle in Bartimaeus's life at this moment is not that he got to see physically, but now he is saved spiritually. And I love the promise in the Bible that anyone who comes to Christ by faith, just as we read earlier, just like a child, totally depending on Jesus, is saved. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And I love verse 11. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Satan will shame you of your sin. Jesus will deliver you from it. Jesus will not turn you away. No matter what you have done, no matter how long you've been gone, Jesus says, you come to me, 
You find life in me, light in me. I will not put you to shame. He heals Bartimaeus. His faith has saved him. Now, there might be a little tension in your mind at this point. There may be some questions you're thinking of. Maybe a little tension in your heart. Because some will take verse 42 and they will read it within only the context of this passage. And they won't put it in a larger context to develop out this type of theology to where they will say it was Bartimaeus' faith that made the hand of Jesus heal him. So essentially, there are some who believe if you have a physical issue, you have a disability, you have a special need, you have something going on in your life like a cancer or Parkinson's or dementia or something wrong in which you need the healing touch of God, that if you would just have enough faith, you would be healed. And so then some people's theology, it's a matter of building up enough faith to where you reach a magical level that all of a sudden you reach this magical level and God will answer that prayer. Let me say this with all love and care and bluntness because you know I'm just the type of guy who puts it on the table. There is a deep theological big word for that type of theology and it's called hogwash. <laughs> Another Greek term that we could apply would be baloney. And the reason that is unbiblical, the reason it is a false gospel that many of you need to reject today is because your faith does not drive the hand of God. My faith does not drive the hand of God. It is faith in the one who can heal, but it is still his sovereign choice to heal. I have experienced this as a father of a child with special needs. Sandra, in the first service I pointed out, has experienced this as well. We have had well-meaning people over the years tell us if we had just enough faith that our son would be healed of autism. If you just prayed a little more, if you just had enough faith, your son would no longer have autism. Now, thankfully, in the moment, the Holy Spirit prevented me from throat chopping them. <laughs> because, again, it is faith in the one who can heal, but it is his sovereign choice to heal. That means this. You may have cancer one day, Alzheimer's, dementia, something else in your life you are praying for God to remove. But God may allow you to take that to your grave. But the promise of the Bible that is good news is you take it no further in Christ Jesus. You do not take that in heaven. That means this, if you have had a loved one go before you who died of cancer, some type of disability that you prayed for and prayed for, God did not heal them side of heaven. God answered your prayer because he said, as a believer in Jesus, watch this, 
They don't have it for all of eternity. And that is a miracle in which we celebrate. Understand it this way. It is by the sovereign hand of God he does the healing. He calls us to place our faith in the one who can heal. Many of you may have heard of Fanny Crosby. You may know her story. You, if uh, Pastor Matt mentioned hymns earlier today, if you grew up singing out of a hymnal, you, I'm sure you sang a Fanny Crosby hymn at some point in your life. Fanny Crosby became blind at a very young age. She had an eye condition in which a medical procedure went wrong and caused her permanent blindness. It was later in life in one of her memoirs that she recounts the time in which she was talking with a friend, and the friend was lamenting over Fanny's blindness. And the friend was saying, Fanny, if you could just see, I want you to see, Fanny, I want you to see all the things that I see. Fanny responded this way to the friend's lament. She said, blindness cannot keep the sunlight of hope from a trusted soul. It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I shall be blind all my life, and I thank him for that. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung the hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things about me. If at my birth I had been able to make one petition to my creator, it would be that I shall be made blind. Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior, Jesus." The greatest miracle done in Bartimaeus' life that day was not his physical blindness healed. The great miracle done that day in Bartimaeus' life was now he is spiritually healed. There is no more darkness of the soul. There is no more grip of death. The chains of sin is gone because Bartimaeus saw the light in Jesus. Think about it. Now he physically can see the blue of the sky. He can see the green of the grass. He can see the red of the rose. And for the very first face he saw was his Savior Jesus standing there, staring right at him. But Bartimaeus could praise the Lord for his physical sight. But I believe he glorified God at a deeper level because he no longer was unsaved, but now he is saved. We see in verse 43, and immediately he recovered his sight and followed Christ. He became a Christ follower, a worshiper, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Bartimaeus began singing that day. It was Christ that saved his soul. He started following Jesus, and I believe he started singing a song that I guarantee in heaven he's still singing. And I think if you listen closely this morning, you can hear him. You can hear him singing today praises to his Savior, just like a blind man I wandered along. Worries and fears I carried for my own. Then like a blind man, God gave back my sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy from sorrow to sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. What do you see this morning? 
What are you seeing in your mind? What are you seeing in your soul? Are you seeing darkness? Or do you see the light of Jesus today? I invite you this morning as believers in Jesus Christ, as Luke chapter 18 verse 1 says, do not quit praying. Verse 1 tells us in that chapter, do not quit praying. What you are praying for today, maybe God in his sovereignty has not answered yet. Keep praying. Let your faith be in the one who can heal. Let your faith be in the one that can change that circumstance that you might have in your life. But do not carry the burden today thinking it's because you lack a measure of faith of why he has not answered it in the way in which you are praying. Continue to pray and trust in his sovereignty, in his goodness. This morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, worship him who has done a greater miracle in your life that as a believer in Jesus Christ now, death like Bartimaeus has no hold, that you are now saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell. You are saved from the power of sin, and one day you will be saved from the presence of sin in heaven for all of eternity. As a Christian today, celebrate the light you see in Jesus. But for those of you that have yet to place your faith and trust in Christ, let me just say this to you. I want to call you out of darkness this morning. I want to call you to place your faith and your trust in the one who is light. Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light. And those who walk in me do not see the darkness, but have the light of life. If you place your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross for you, and what he has done through the resurrection, you have spiritual life. You have forgiveness of your sin today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. But the Bible says you have to trust him. You have to trust in who he is and what he has done. And this morning, I'm going to call you, whether you are a child, you're a teenager, you're an adult, you're in this room, you're at home worshiping with us. Today, let this be the day of your salvation, the day in which Jesus opens your spiritual eyes and you see him. Let's pray together as we go to the Lord. I want to thank you for watching today's message. I hope that you found it encouraging and challenging to your faith. At Heights, our mission is to love and to lead all people to a new life with Christ. And right now, I want to encourage you, if you have never given your life over to Jesus Christ, placed your faith and trust in Him, then the Bible calls you to do that. And today, right where you are, you can place your faith in Christ and become a new believer in Jesus. You know, that's such an important decision that every person has to make. You know, one day you are going to stand before God and give an account of your life, to give an account of what you did with Jesus Christ in your life. And so I want to encourage you, just as Hebrews 4.12 says that today is the day of salvation, just right where you are, give your life to Jesus Christ. And the way that you can do that is through prayer. You know, the Bible says in Romans 10.13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so if you're interested today in starting a relationship with Jesus, having your sin forgiven, finding forgiveness of your sin and new life with Christ that lasts for all of eternity, I want to encourage you to pray along with me. Let's pray together. Dear God, today I need Jesus as my Savior. 
I place my faith and trust in Him, in Him alone. Thank you for saving me. You know, if you prayed that prayer today, we'd love to be able to connect with you. If you'd like to go to heightschurch.org slash connect, let us know that you prayed. Let us know how we can pray for you. But the important step that you need to take is to let somebody know, today I started a new relationship with Jesus Christ. We'd love to come alongside of you and encourage you in that new direction in your life. We'd love to have you in person if you're able to make it at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. If you have any other needs, contact us at heightschurch.org connect. We'll be back in touch with you. Thank you for watching today's message, and I hope you have a great week.